Amen. You know, um, when I was putting stuff together to, to talk this morning, I kind of wanted to call this sermon, What is Love? Or all around the world, people just want to be loved. Or I want to know what love is. Or all you need is love. But, da, 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 da. but I was afraid of getting sued for copyright infringement, so we're not going to do that. We're just going to say that we're, we're going to talk about love, because um, I don't think anyone owns copyright on that. Um, I, you know, like I said before, you know, us fellowshipping with each other, us loving on each other is, I feel, one of the most important things that we do on Sunday morning. And love is the most important thing in our lives. But unfortunately, it seems that there are so many misconceptions out there about what love actually is. And there's so many just outright lies out there. And the reason why there's such weirdness when it comes to love is because the enemy knows that it's such a powerful force. And so the enemy is actively, on purpose, trying to warp and distort our, our ideas, our foundation, what we think about love. Um, sorry, I got tweeted. Um, <laughs> which makes me feel very popular. Um, and so this morning, we're just gonna um, just take a, a, a few looks at what love is, because I do wanna know what love is, um, and to see if the enemy has slipped in a lie, because one of the frustrating things about the enemy is that he veils lies so that they appear to be true. You know, the Bible says that he appears as an angel of light. Um, and so we can go our entire lives believing a lie, and when that lie is revealed, it's like, Oh, gosh, I had no idea. I had been living this lie for this long. You know, I had no idea until I, until I saw the truth. Um, and I want to start off with the phrase, uh, raise your hand if you've ever heard the phrase, love is a verb. Love is a verb, you know, it's a Toby Mac song, um, love, uh, love does stuff. And this uh, phrase was put together um, to shed light on the fact that love without an active demonstration is pretty useless. So people are saying that love's not just a noun, love's not just a thing, it's a verb, it does things. Um, you know, Joe McGee is pretty famous for saying, you know, faith is a verb, faith speaks, faith is an action. Um, with, without an outworking of faith, it's pretty useless, and we read that in James. Well, in uh, 1 John 3.16, if you can uh, turn there, 1 John 3.16, not John 3.16, 1 John 3.16 is a little bit to the right. Um, verse 16, it says that we know what real love is, because Jesus gave his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need and shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show the truth of it by our actions. Great verse, I think. You know, it's the destiny of all love that's experienced to be demonstrated. Love is in here so that it manifests out here. If it doesn't manifest out here, what's in here is either useless or it's questionable that it's actual love. Does that make sense? Because we can you know, feel warm fuzzies about things and it's not a genuine, um, a genuine spiritual emotion, uh, if that makes sense. Um, but one of the, the pitfalls, one of the ditches on the side of the road is that we can shift our attention from love and shift our, uh, our focus from love 
to the demonstration of that love. We substitute an effect for a cause. We put the cart before the horse. Does that make sense? We can focus on the demonstration of love and miss the, the actual point of love. In uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, it says, Love is patient. It's kind. Love's not jealous or boastful or proud. It's not rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. Keeps no record of being wrong doesn't rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. You know, my uh, uncle had some computer issues this week, and uh, I was trying to help him through that. And I'm not a computer expert by any stretch of the imagination, but sitting there for five seconds, I was ready to throw that entire laptop out the window because I couldn't get it to, to do something. And so as I'm on the, the phone with one of the, the IT guys, 50-minute wait, by the way, 50-minute wait for a computer thing. So I'm sitting here the whole time, and my, my frustration level is just, you know, coming out the top. Um, I had to really struggle to not be rude, to not be irritable, to not demand my own way. I failed in that. I was rude and I was irritable. So just confessing that before you guys, I failed in that. Um, but we read things like that and the temptation is to read verses like that and then try really hard to be patient. Try really hard to be kind, to not be jealous, to not be rude or irritable. Have you ever been around family and you tried really hard to not be rude or irritable. And it just, it makes it 10 times worse. You know, the, um, we just kind of came through that, that holiday season. And have you ever noticed that nobody can push a button like family can push a button? You know, uh, you have Uncle Joe come in and say, hey, how are you doing? What's that supposed to mean? I said, hi, and you're biting my head off. You know, like tempers kind of run hot. But everyone's trying to not be irritable. Everyone's trying really hard to not be rude. Um, and as we try really hard to do all of these things, they will eventually exhaust us. You know, like when you get done spending time with family and you get home, it's like, oh, you know, there's a huge load off of my shoulders sometimes. Um, when I was in high school, I worked out with uh, one of my friends. We did an exercise called lap pulls. It's where you have a bar up here and you pull it down. Seems simple enough, um, but it hurts. <laughs> and the idea behind a lat pull is to work a group of muscles in your back. Um, well, I found out really quickly that he could put up a whole lot more weight than I could. Um, and so I could cheat. I figured out that I could cheat and I could use my arm muscles to put up a whole lot of weight, you know, and not, not work my back at all. Now, if I did enough lat pulls the wrong way, to cause the right results in my back, my arms would either be so big that I couldn't bend them or they would just eventually fall off because I would have to spend so much more effort. I would have to work so much harder to get the results that I wanted because I was doing it the wrong way. And we can go through our entire lives trying to accomplish the effect or to try to accomplish the results of love. And if we spend all of our time doing that, we will eventually wear ourselves out. You know, I feel that we do this um, often with the fruit of the Spirit. You know, he says the, the fruit of the Spirit is da 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 And we try to do all of those things as opposed to doing what he told us to do and just rest in the Spirit 
and let that fruit naturally work out. You know, we were sharing in a Sunday school this morning that an apple tree doesn't sit there and go, apples, 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 uh, no, an orange. You know, an apple tree doesn't worry about the fruit that it produces because it's an apple tree. It produces apples. That's the nature of it. And as we sit and rest in the spirit, we produce naturally the fruit of the spirit without having to go, love, joy. <laughs> you know, we naturally produce all that stuff. So if the effects, if the results of love are patience and kindness and not being jealous and not being rude and not being irritable, what is love? What's the cause for the effect? You know, what is the actual thing of love? Um, you know, and, and I feel that in our culture today, we have way overcomplicated the definition of love. Um, I blame the media. <laughs> you know, so that we have relationships that if your love doesn't look like the notebook, it's not real love. If your love doesn't look like twilight, it's not real love. You know, if your love doesn't look like the most mushy, you know, gushy, wonderful romance movie out there, it's not genuine. And so we have definitions of love that it's really hard to meet up to. And so at the end of the day, what the actual definition of love is, is a fondness towards somebody or something. It's enjoying somebody's company. It's the, it's the phrase, and I have, I have Hebrew and Greek resources about this. It's the phrase, I wish so-and-so was here. It's a longing or a desire to be near somebody. Love is that thing inside of you that brightens and lifts when you see someone that you love walk into the room. You know, everybody um, has that experience at a restaurant. You know, when you're in a conversation and then you see your food approach, but you still have to go through with the sham of having a conversation with someone where it's like, it's there, it's there, and it's here. And you have to act all surprised because, you know, you actually were paying attention to what that person was saying, even though you weren't. <laughs> and you're like, my burger, my burger's coming. That's actually what, what the definition of love is towards somebody else. Um, and if you do a word search um, with the Greek and the Hebrew, you know, the biblical authors use the word love the same way that we do. You know, they would say things like, I love potatoes. You know, I love pizza. Obviously, they didn't say pizza. But they used love in that real common way. Hey, I love you. I love this. This person loves me. God loves us. And they all use the same wording. Um, I think a lot of times we'll, we'll hear sermons about, well, you know, there's this word of love, and it means this, and it has this idea and, and all that stuff. But in practice, the, the writers of the Bible, when they chose to use the words that they, that they used, they used love like we use love. I love this, I love that. And so it's that thing inside that rises up, that brightens up whenever uh, you see the object of your love. You know, we all have the ability to love. All human beings have the ability to love, to show that um, affection to show that fondness towards somebody else. But we as Christians have an access through the Holy Spirit to the source of all love. Um, if you want to write this down, Romans 5, 5 and John 16, 13 through 15. Um, read those uh, later. We have access to a never-ending source of love through the Father via the Holy Spirit. Um, but like a muscle, if you don't exercise love, your love is puny and small. 
But the more you exercise love, the more you demonstrate love, it starts to grow. Does everyone, or did anyone watch How the Grinch Stole Christmas over the holidays? You know how his heart grew two sizes that day? Your heart, your love, your ability to demonstrate love in the physical world will increase the more you do it. Um, so how do we exercise that? How do we exercise a feeling? How do we exercise an emotion? Anyone want to try to exercise this morning? I say, I say we should. Mr. Blake, if you could put up that first picture. Get ready for it. Aww. Feel it? Feel it? Aww. Go ahead and put up the next one. Isn't that the cutest thing? It's a dog in a hoodie. Now that's beautiful. Get ready for it. Get ready for it. How can that be any more adorable? Okay, feel what your mouth feels like right now. Not not all of you, but some of you. Feel what that feels like. There are people in your life that are dying for your face to brighten up like that when you see them. There are family members, there are neighbors, there are people that you see at Walmart that are dying, and literally dying inside, waiting for someone to show them that kind of affection that we showed over a little puppy. It's the same thing. It's that fondness for. It's that thing that brightens up on the inside. And you have the ability to show it to actual people too. But for some reason, our culture that we get in, we put a limit, we put a bar on the top of our love. And we say, I can show that towards the most cute, adorable puppy ever. And I can show that to babies. But when it comes to my friends, I can't, I can't do that. I can't brighten up like that when I see my friends. I can't brighten up like that when I see my kids. And the reason why we feel like that is that there's a lie that's going around that the enemy tries to put in us. It's called the lie of familiarity. And this lie, when it gets in your heart, it causes you to treat the people that you're the closest to the worst. Because for some weird reason, we bite off this forbidden fruit of, well, the people that are the closest to me know that they love me. So I don't have to go through this big rigmarole of showing that. I mean, that's mushy, no one does that stuff. But when we see a little baby, hey, or see someone that you don't know very well, hey, how are you doing? But the person that we see every day, hey, has anyone ever grunted at you in the morning? Morning, how are you doing? Fine, I'm glad to see you too. Don't do that. If you don't get anything else, don't grunt in the morning. Actually, use your words. Use big boy words and say, hey, good morning, how are you doing? You know, I I honestly believe that this Sunday could be the day that you stop believing that lie, that you don't have to show affection towards the people that are the closest to you. You know, the standard that we see in Scripture is that the closer you get to the Father, the more affection is is, is revealed. The closer that Ruth got to Boaz, the more affection was revealed. Does that make sense? The closer you get to someone, the more affection they should feel from you. Um, 
And there's also a lie. And the reason why that kind of lie is so damaging, one, it's damaging to us personally, but we all go through uh, relationships here on earth. And we experience heartache and we experience junk that gets in a relationship. And for some weird reason, we distill the worst parts of love and put them on God. And we expect God to treat us like the worst person in our lives. If someone has a really hard time showing you love, for some weird reason, we expect God to act like that person. And that's a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. And it's damaging our relationships with each other. It's damaging our relationships with God because it's simply not true. In Luke uh, 15, there's a story about a prodigal son, uh, a kid, a jerk kid, a punk kid says, dad, I wish you were dead. I want all my inheritance now. Won't you go ahead and give me everything? And then he went and wasted every bit of it. And then sitting there in complete poverty, realizes, hey, the servants at my dad's house eat better than this. I'm going to go back and try to get a job, not become a son, try to get a job. And so in verse 20, we pick up. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion, ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. The son said to him, father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The father, not paying attention to a word that his son was saying, said, uh, but his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the fatted calf, or the, kill the calf that we have been fatting, fattening, for we must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine that was dead is now alive. So let the party begin. This is not a one-time event when you get saved and then God's a jerk for the rest of your spiritual life. This is a revelation spoken from the mouth of Jesus about what the Father's heart is towards you. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, better than Walmart. This is what the Father's heart is towards you. And so his father saw his son a long way off, filled with love and compassion. Not, mm, I feel a strange warmness in my heart filled with love and compassion, ran off the porch, embraced his son, restored his identity, restored his clothes, restored his authority. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, your father sees you, is filled with compassion, and is running to meet you. Don't ever slip into the lie that, that the father just tolerates you, that God just puts up with your existence, that, that you were a stepkid that came along with, a, uh, with another marriage. God didn't get stuck with you. He fought for you. You know, um, I was uh, on, on Facebook, and one of my friends posted a, a picture of him with his, uh, with his kid. And Blake, if you could put that up. 24-7. The father is overjoyed to see you 24-7. There is never a moment of time that he goes, <sighs> when God told Moses what his name was, said, I am the Lord your God, slow to wrath, full of love and compassion, slow to wrath. The actual Hebrew word for slow to wrath is slow to breathe out of your nose. It's the, he is slow to frustration. Anything that, God could ever get frustrated with you, 
about, Jesus took care of. And so because he took care of that, we get to sit in the love of the Father, that we get to experience the pure joy of God 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If I could speak in all the languages of earth and of angels, and I didn't have love, I'd be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about that, but if I didn't love others, I would be gaining nothing. Love is patient. It's kind. It's not jealous or boastful or proud. It's not rude. Doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. You don't have to walk on eggshells around love. You don't have to worry if love's gonna lose their temper. You don't have to worry if love's in a bad mood. Keeps no record of being wrong. Doesn't rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It is always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. In 1 Corinthians 14.1, Paul says, let love be your highest goal. Out of all the things written in scripture, let love be your highest goal. In Colossians 3.14, Paul says, above all, and he talked a lot, above everything else that I've ever said, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. In 1 John 2.7 says, dear friends, I am not writing you a new commandment, whether it's the, rather it's the old one that you have heard from the very beginning. This old commandment to love each other is the same message that you had heard before. Yet it's also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment and you are also living it. For the darkness is disappearing and the true light is already beginning to shine. It's already shining. There is nothing that does more damage to the kingdom of darkness than your ability to love the person that's sitting next to you. I, you know, when Jesus talked about faith, he said that just a mustard-sized seed of faith has the ability, has the power to rework the fabric of the earth. You could look at a mountain and say, move over here, and have the ability to alter the physical substance of reality through a mustard seed of faith. And then Paul says, if I had the faith that I could move mountains at a whim and I didn't love, I got nothing. Love is the most potent thing in the universe. So that if you had the ability to prophesy, if you were the best prophet on earth and you didn't love the person that's sitting next to you, waste of time. If I had the, the privilege to be martyred for my faith and we, we hold martyrs in high esteem because we need to, says precious in the eyes of the Lord of the death of his saints. And we see in Revelation that there is whole chapters sectioned off to those that have forfeited their lives for the cause of Christ. But Paul says that even if I forfeit my life for the cause of Christ and I haven't loved the person sitting next to me, it was a waste of my effort.
everything that we've got going on in life is a waste of effort and a waste of time if we don't love the right way. If we're cheating through that exercise, it's a waste of time. And I don't care how hard you try to be patient, to be kind. You're not gonna be able to effectively do it. What you need to do is come to the Father. Remember what I was saying? That through the Holy Spirit, we have access to the source of all love and say, God, I have a hard time showing this love. I need you to do something, whatever it is that you do in here that changes this into a person that loves well. I honestly believe that if we mess up everything else in our lives and we have the ability to love well, we're good. If we mess up preaching, if we mess up worship, if we mess up meet and greet, if we mess up our ability to sign up for things at the information table, it's all right. If we love well, if we love effectively, we've, we've got it made. We don't have to add anything else to that if we love well. But if we don't love well, it doesn't matter how much we do right. It doesn't matter how great the worship is. It doesn't great, matter how great the preaching is. If we, don't, if we miss it in love, we've missed it. Amen? And I, and I know that there, there are a handful of people sitting here today that you feel that your heart's cold. You know, like, I mean, even looking at pictures of babies. No smile. Stupid baby. Dumb puppy. You know, it's like, because it's true. You haven't felt anything warm your heart in so long that it's just dried everything out. The Bible says that the love of many in the last day will wax cold. Just like a candle, when the fire gets blown out, that wax starts hardening out. If you're sitting here and your spouse has told you that you're cold, if your kids have said, you're cold, we want to pray for you today because that's a lie of the enemy. You're not cold. You have the fire of the Holy Spirit burning inside of you and you've just bought into that lie of familiarity. You have the ability to express perfect love to everybody that's around you. You know, if, if you don't really feel that, that, that strongly about it, but somewhere in the back of your mind, you vaguely think that God's not overjoyed when he sees you, that, that God isn't tickled pink every time he sees you, if that lies somewhere in the back of your mind, we want to partner with you. We want to pray for you. If you've walked through, Tammy, if you could go ahead and come on forward. Um, if you've walked through a really hard holiday season, and you need someone sitting in front of you saying that you're loved, that you're not tolerated, you're not just put up with, that someone in this world actually cares if you exist or not, we want to partner with you and pray for you. We don't want to stand up on a high, lofty mountain and help poor, you know, unfortunate people up to our level. That's not what it is. We want to let you know the truth that there is someone on earth, there is someone in heaven that is thrilled to pieces that we get to see you every Sunday. I say it every Sunday that I love seeing you guys. It's not something that I'm forced to say. It's not on any of my sheets up here. Because usually if it's not written down, it's, you know, it doesn't come across. I genuinely care about you guys. It tickles me pink that I get to come in here every Sunday and see your faces. Now, if I, being a fallen person, have that emotional attraction towards you guys, 
Imagine what your heavenly father thinks about you. You can go ahead and uh, stand up as we close out. The, the people doing our prayer ministry would go ahead and come forward. It's not a bad thing for you to ask for help. Ask your friends and family. If you don't feel that you love well, if you don't feel that you love effectively, ask your wife, ask your husband, ask your kids, how can I show you love better? I promise you, if all you do is just look at a picture of a puppy, see what that does to your face and do that towards somebody else, you're taking a huge leap. People around you need to know that they're loved. If you have someone in your life that you love, that you care about, that you enjoy spending time with them, let them know. Let them know on the the brightness of your face, let them know that they're loved. Let them know through the tone and the inflection in your voice that that person is loved. Don't let a person leave your presence without them knowing your feelings towards that person. Father, we come to you this morning knowing that we mess up so many things in our lives, God, and we know that we don't get um, everything right, Lord. But God, we come to you this morning and ask that if we don't get anything else right in our lives, Holy Spirit, allow us to get this love thing right. God, and we just bless every member of this church with the superpower of being able to love well that people in this flock would be known as superheroes of love. That if, if we never get prophecy down, if we never get faith down, if none of us are ever martyred, Holy Spirit, allow us to love well. And we know that it doesn't come from us trying really hard because we've tried really hard in the past and we've, we've failed, Lord. So Holy Spirit, we need you to transform our hearts into hearts full of love and compassion. Holy Spirit, that you would transform us into that Father's heart that saw his son a long way off, filled with compassion, ran and embraced, Father. That Justin Grant would be known as a person that would see people a far way off, be filled with compassion, run and embrace. And I need you to do that. I can't do that through any other source. I can't read any book. I can't, I can't listen to any self-help tape. Holy Spirit, I need your power in my life to be able to do that. Father, we bless you. If you, if you need prayer for anything, please come forward and allow us to, to partner with you on that.